Hello and welcome to Why We Move, the podcast from Do More Movement, hosted by me, Jeremy Johnston. Each episode, I'll be speaking to a mover and shaker from the health and fitness world and beyond. We'll find out why they move, what it gives them, both physically and mentally, who and what inspires them to move, and why they want you to move more. The aim is to encourage you to challenge your body and mind in new ways, to think differently about health and fitness, to try things you've never done before, and above all, to do more movement. On this episode of Why We Move, I was lucky enough to chat to GB Rower Karen Bennett. Part of the historic women's eight that won silver at the Rio Games in 2016, Karen was picked for Tokyo before the rearrangement. As her training starts again for the new dates in 2021, we spoke about what motivates her to put herself through the hellish six or so minutes of racing, how the determination to not let her teammates as well as herself down gets her through the intense months of training. So without further delay, let's get into the conversation. Hi, Karen. So welcome uh, to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, just before we get started or we get into the main conversation, do you want to just give a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Yep. Okay. So my name is Karen Bennett and I am a rower in the British rowing team. And I went to the Rio Olympics and I was part of the women's eight that won an Olympic silver medal there. And you are now training for the delayed Tokyo Games? Yes, I am. Um, that was obviously a, a bit of a shock, but I guess we could kind of see it coming at some point. But yeah, so I'm training now um, a bit differently, but still kind of got the same goal and still training for that. So we'll come into that a, a bit more in, in detail later on, but you were, you were picked for the, for the boat and all scheduled to go. And then obviously it's all been pushed back. My understanding is that you, the boat's now kind of been disbanded and they'll re-pick the, 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 the team in X number of months once everybody's kind of gone back through all the hoops and jumping again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there'll probably be some kind of bones of the bottle that will stay in place, but um, I think it's kind of, we obviously still need to go out there and prove that we are good enough and the boat is fast enough. So we've, yeah, still got a lot of kind of testing and trialing to do. Got lots of work to do. Yeah. Okay, so we'll pick up on some of that uh, in due course, but let's get a little bit of background. Um, so do you want to tell the listeners how you got to where you are now? So just a kind of, I guess, brief history of what you moved or how you moved as a child, uh, teenage years and then 20s and kind of guess how you got into to kind of elite rowing. Yeah, so... Um... I have always, always done sport ever since I was really young. I um, I actually think that my dad wanted a little boy, <laughs> but he actually got two girls instead. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my parents thought, I guess they thought it was like really important for us to do sport. And I firstly like started swimming at a very young age because I think that was really important that we had that kind of life skill. So that was our kind of main sport growing up. Um, we did a bit of, so this is me and my sister, we did a bit of gymnastics as well, um, but that was like our younger, younger years. And then kind of getting on a bit into like my teens, I played golf. Again, that was my dad that was like, come on, <laughs> let's, let's go for a round You'll of golf. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but now I'm like, I'm so glad that he like, well, it was my mom as well, but I'm so glad that they 
made us do that because golf is actually, as you get older, you, you realise how what a good sport it actually is. Um, so I'm really glad that I've got that kind of skill that I can just go out and I can play golf, um, which is really good. And I also played hockey at school and I played basketball for a club too. So, but yeah, again, really active. And it was me and my sister that um, we both, I kind of did every sport that my sister did. Um, and I think she was kind of played a big role in me being sporty and probably competitive as well. She's older. So I think I always wanted to like beat her at things. Sounds so, familiar. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where the competitiveness started. So it was growing up and from a young age, it was lots of different things, not getting too kind of bogged down or pushed into one area. It was try lots of things. You might enjoy them, you might not, but there's a whole kind of universe of different kind of sports and activities and things you can do. How did you then narrow that down into, into rowing? So, well, I actually, swimming was like a, the main kind of sport for me. So I pushed that to, like, it's weird with swimming because obviously you're, you peak quite early when you're young. So I was quite good when I was younger. What age are we talking? We're, ta <laughs> we're talking about 13. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I then got an, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Osgood Slatter's disease. Yeah. yeah, you have, that's good. Sometimes I need to explain to people <laughs> what it is. Um, so it's basically like growing pains almost um, in my knees. And that played like a big part in me kind of not continuing down the swimming route, hence the other sports. And then rowing came about when I was about 18 and 18, 19. So it was 2007, the winter of 2007. There was a Sporting Giants talent ID project throughout the whole of the UK. And they kind of like dangled the carrot in front of you saying that you could go to the Olympics and you could win an Olympic medal. And that was something that I always wanted to do. And did you, when you said you always wanted to, you'd thought there was a potential of that from swimming being a... Yeah, from swimming. Um, I yeah, that was like, I love swimming growing up. And I definitely thought that I'd kind of been put on the planet to swim and to achieve that goal. But then it didn't happen. Yeah. So I guess it was like another opportunity that came about and I, I grabbed it really. I went and I did the testing, applied um, to be on the programme and yeah, I, I got accepted and they kind of saw potential in me. So that's where it all stemmed from. Like I'd never been in a rowing boat before, never was really interested in rowing. Like growing up in Scotland in Edinburgh, that it was just never a thing. Like at school, I just went to like a normal school and there wasn't ever rowing that was um, like on the agenda. So yeah, I guess the only kind of, when like when I saw rowing, it was probably at the Olympics. When, yeah, I mean, it's Like not, I watched it. Yeah, it's not, mm -hmm. I think growing up as well, it's not a, a an obvious sport to go into unless you no. go to certain schools or live in certain areas or, or yeah. kind of things like that. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, and I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it um, because I, I said that I started in Scotland and it was at winter and it was absolutely freezing 
and I just kept falling in. And <laughs> when you fail at something, you just get so annoyed and so frustrated. Yeah. And that's what it was like for me the whole time. But I think the reason why I kept going was because I had quite a, a good group of people that started um, at the same time. So I really just wanted to kind of be with them. And that was why I continued. And then I got slowly started to get better and better and better. And that's when, yeah, I really kind of started enjoying it much so more. So it, it was the camaraderie and the kind of team environment mm. and that kind of cohort that you were developing with rather than an initial kind of talent straight at yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It definitely yeah. wasn't a talent at all. So you were then put on a kind of elite tracking program where there were different groups around the country were then you kind of get checked in with head office almost to see how you're progressing the idea that in time a number of you will kind of funnel down into a elite core group that will then go on to ideally I guess represent GB is that yeah so the program um, was called the start program and it's actually still around now and we have um, loads of people all over the UK in different groups and generally in different cities. And yeah, the idea is that you go down for kind of like weekend camps every like four to six weeks and they track your progress um, from there. And there's a lot of people like at school that are on it or university, college, or maybe they're even working part time as well. So. I did that for a few years and alongside that you can start to like trial for the GB team or the under 23 team and that's basically what I did. I was actually at college when I was part of the start project and I decided that when I finished college I was going to move down um, to the Molesy Boat Club start kind of um, program and I also decided to go to university at that point as well so they kind of went hand in hand and that was in 2010 and the following year I made the under 23 um, team. So they were structured that they they went alongside sort of traditional university and education so if the sporting endeavours didn't play out how you know you hoped and planned there was still an ability to kind of live a, an everyday life of mm. something and have that that level. Yeah, yeah. I think I was very aware that if the rowing didn't work out, I could fall back on something else. But I know that there was some people that went on to the programme that were like so committed, 100% full-time athlete right there and right yeah. then, even though they hadn't done the sport before, like <laughs> at all. And yeah, I was kind of like, wow, like it's really impressive that, you know, that that's what they want to do and that's what they're going to do. And to be fair to them, like a few of them did do it. So it's, yeah. it's really impressive. Um, but yeah, I was kind of like, let I'll just have something to fall back on just in case. Yeah. Safe, safety first. Yeah. Have the safety net. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and how do you think or you've talked about your competitive nature with your sister um, in your teenage years? And how did that develop during sort of later teens and I guess 20s? And as you were getting into more structured training and development and racing and things like that, how did that, did that grow? Did it, has it caused issues? Is it kind of something that you, you, you kind of base your training around or how has that played out? Um, I think, I guess through probably like my 
like early um, like twenties, is not something that you really kind of recognize. It's more just of a like a feeling that takes over, isn't it? It's like you don't recognize it really as being competitive. It's more so that you are just doing it. Though that's what I feel anyway. Um, so I think I am obviously there's something competitive in me, but I've never kind of. I guess kind of acknowledge like, oh, this is me being competitive and this is me doing this and that. It's just it's just kind of happened and it's just something that's in my blood and and that's why that's what I just do. And is it is it quite channeled towards your sporting endeavours and your career? Or if you are playing Scrabble with your boyfriend, are you chucking pieces oh. at him if you lose? Yeah, yeah, okay. I guess actually when <laughs> yeah, when, when you put it like that. Yeah, I'm pretty competitive. Even it's actually a Monopoly deal. Okay, that's the thing. Um, There's always something. Yeah, and to the point now, like yeah, I realise that I'm <laughs> that I actually <laughs> am really competitive, and I end up. We can re-ask like, the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe just do. But I think probably because sport, like you do it day in day out, it's like my life, and that's what I do. Um, and I feel like you probably can't be competitive all the time because it is just so exhausting you need to get yourself into place you need to I don't know switch some music on and get yourself in that zone to be competitive but um I think yeah you probably can be competitive every day but you tone it down like dial it down massively otherwise it just probably gets too stressful yeah so you need to use it and channel it at the right times otherwise you're going to burn out yeah you need to have that downtime you can't constant be in kind of fight mode otherwise you're you're going to you're going to burn yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And how have you got better at that as you've got older and more experienced and trained more and raced more and learned more, I guess, about yourself and your body and how you need to recover and days that you need to ease off the training against days where you need to kind of up the training? How's that changed over time? Yeah, I think the older I've got, the more that I realise that you can, yeah, you need to switch into it and then take yourself away from it and um yeah it's it's something that I guess I haven't really been aware of but I think I just do it anyway um like if I have had a hard day I need to just completely switch off and take myself away and do something completely different yeah um otherwise the next day I'm just going to be exhausted and that's just not very good for my training so yeah I think it's something that I recognize but almost not really knowing it, just doing it automatically. Um, and perhaps maybe I probably should like write it down and, you know, analyze it a little bit. Um, but that's something that, yeah, I've not really done. It's just kind of happened over time. Okay, well, there's some homework for you from this podcast. So that's <laughs> Thank <good>. you very <laughs> much. <laughs> you didn't know you were getting that, did you? Um, so if we, sticking on the training then, so you're obviously, we're about 10 months away from the rearranged Tokyo Games. So mm. what? At the moment, what does a kind of typical week look like without getting into too much? Like, what's how many days are you training? How heavy is the load? What's your recovery like? Okay, so at the moment we are we're training six days a week, which is Monday through to Saturday. Sundays we have active recovery or we have off, depending on how we feel. You know, if we're completely on our knees through the week, then we generally have. Sunday off but if you know we feel that we can 
do something, maybe you'll go for like a really chilled bike ride or even like a walk or something. Um, but we do two to three sessions a day. Generally, it's um, like two cardio sessions and a weight session on like Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays and sometimes Fridays, depending on what that third session would be. And what does a cardio session look like? If you're out on the boat, if you're out mm. in the water, what's, what's a typical session? Um, so it'd just be like a UT2, which is they say that you should be able to talk as you're... Um, like as you've got your heart rate perform. raised. Yeah. yeah, okay. So you should be able to hold a conversation. Yeah. You're, you're working, but it's you're not working to fatigue or to failure. No. You're working at a steady state where you can maintain yeah. a conversation, but obviously your heart rate is, is at a reasonable level. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's generally quite like a long session. And how long is do. that? Um, it's really anywhere between kind of an hour to like an hour and a half, an hour and 40 really depending on what boat we're in so the bigger well at the moment we're not on big boats because or crew well we're in a crew sorry I'm completely like <laughs> <laughs> so we're not in crew boats but I do need somebody to row with because I'm a rower which means I've got one oar yeah so I need another person otherwise I'll just go around in circles <laughs> yeah um so yeah so I generally um with just one other person at the moment and obviously we're being like really careful and wearing masks and and um when we're in the gym i'll probably lift with her if not i'll lift on my own and we'll clean all the equipment um between using it and yeah. and everything so at the moment that's kind of what we're doing so the sessions um are not say the same as what if we were in an eight yeah. We, the mileage would be like much bigger so um yeah at the moment the mileage isn't as big but you're more personally responsible for it yes yeah. yeah. spread across less people and how do you enjoy training to racing which is which gives you the buzz is the training a necessary evil for the joy of racing or do you love the training and the racing is just an added bonus that this is like a really it's a very good question because I, I like I actually do love training and I realized that in lockdown as well, like how much I really enjoy just being fit and being active and just doing exercise. Um, but and I think I like I really like the thought of racing, like, yeah, like I'm doing all this because I'm going to be here. I'm going to be racing against these people and this is what I'm going to be doing. But when it actually comes round to the racing, I'm like oh, no, 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 I, I just want to train now. Actually, I'm okay. Like, I think I'll just... Let's go back a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and is that nerves? Is it anxiety? Um, I think it's probably a bit of both. Like, it is, like, very nerve-wracking racing. Um, and I think anxiety because you, whatever the result of that performance it's going to be reflected on me. You know, if it's good, then that's great. I've done a great job. But if it is bad, then I, I've done a bad job. And, it, and I, always, I always look at me and I always think, what can I do better? Why did that go wrong? How did it go wrong? And I just completely like rip everything apart and think, I ha like, how can I do better next time? 
Um, so yeah, so I think the racing is like, I love the idea of it. And I actually do really enjoy racing when I'm doing it because it's brilliant. That's why we actually do row, and that's that's so what the, we're doing. The, the race is fun, but the 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 hour or two beforehand is oh, the kind of it's an absolute nightmare. The, the, yeah, the... I remember at at the Olympics, it, it's like it's horrendous. Like you just want to be sick, and I I remember thinking like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you putting your body? <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are you putting your body through it? Like, don't ever ever do this again. And is it? It was that. So it was why am I putting my body through this rather than why am I putting my mind through this? Because your body's trained for that. You've been training for that. But mm. were you, did you feel that it was the, the body was the, the thing that might not work rather than? Not that it might not work. Well, firstly, I didn't want to mess it up. Are you allowed to swear on these things? Yeah, you can swear. It's fine. <laughs> I can say... choose clean or explicit, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say mess it up. Um, yeah, I didn't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess up like any race, but especially at the, the Olympics. Olympics is quite big. Yeah. And because I was with so many people that had already been to like a, f a few Olympics and I knew that it was going to be their last one. And, you know, I just I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to let me down. I didn't want to let my family down and all the people that supported me. So, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, don't mess this up. And so that was yeah that was awful and then also <laughs> the pain that you know that you're about to go through um have you ever done a 2000 meter yeah I've done, i mean i've done i've never been on a rowing boat so you can take me out sometime but i have <laughs> uh, i've been on ergs and done you know 500 meter or four minute pbs yeah. and, and things like that yeah that you know where you're kind of takes a bit of recovery and yeah and slight sort of sickness that hangs yeah. around for a while yeah it's it's horrific um and so you said about doing like four minutes and 500 meters okay yeah. we do that's not 500 meters in four minutes it's oh. four <laughs> that's that's, that's no, they're two separate, yeah, two separate things yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but try going for like another couple of minutes yeah, on top yeah, of that yeah, yeah for sure like it's it's really because before when so i would see myself as a swimmer and I would generally do like 50 meters or 100 meters. And what's that like? I like up to 30 seconds to a minute. So however or, painful it gets, yeah. you know that actually you probably don't really have long enough to think about the pain because it's, it's over but so over quickly. Six minutes. You can, yeah. there's a lot of time to think about how much it's hurting. Exactly. And you use all the different energy systems as well. And you can, it's weird, you can like feel yourself going through some of the systems, um, like definitely through that like one minute barrier. And it's so painful, but you just know, like just hold on for another few strokes and you'll be through that barrier and into the next system. So that's about trusting the body, trusting the process, trusting the body that it's designed and adapted to get you through those hurdles yeah but you've just got to grit your teeth in those yeah those bits yeah from the whole like nerves thing and anxiety I think part of it is you know what your body's about to go through and you're essentially like volunteering to be like yeah I'll do that <laughs> and and how different was that the Olympics compared to World Cups or European Championships or sort of national races? How amped up was it? Um, so it's kind of, it's weird because you're always, the 
the pain thing and what you're about to put your body through is the same every single time. That's like nervous. That's like, oh God, like my, my body's going to be in a lot of pain in the next kind of six, six minutes. So we just need to, you just need to get through it. That's always there. That's still there. But I think the kind of mental aspect of it being an Olympics was huge, was, was yeah, absolutely massive just because of that whole not wanting to let anybody down, knowing it was some people's last Olympics. You know, it's four years plus that they've trained for this day, this race, this six minutes. Yeah. And yeah, that was huge. That that was real different, yeah. And when you've talked about, so it's, I guess that's the interesting, an interesting element that there's it's obviously a huge amount of pressure individually, but also you're in a boat with seven other people. So how, I guess, two things. Firstly, when you're those pre, pre-game nerves, how much of that pressure is you not wanting to let yourself down versus not wanting to let the team down? And then the second question is, how do you, the competitiveness of training, where you know there's not eight people who know eight are going to go into that boat, presumably there's a pool of X number that gets funneled down. So how do you keep that competition and teamwork working together? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> and quite tricky as well. So, so your teammates f- don't need to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the first bit of your question was about the, um, the pressure on like me, yeah, myself. Putting, yeah, not, let it, not wanting to let yourself down, down versus not wanting to let the, the team down. Yeah, so I think for me it was more so letting the team down. Um, just for reasons what I've said before. Um, yeah, that was at the Olympics. That was like my main thing is it's always about like the others. So and then I guess linked to that is how do you prepare and deal with the fact that it's a team sport, but it's equally you're individually battling against potential team members. So if there's a, a, a group of 15 that gets funneled down to the eight or whatever the numbers are, mm. how do you, during the training periods, how do you maintain that individual drive versus that collective spirit that you that you need to have? Mm. Um, so I think what I do is I kind of have my blinkers on day-to-day I just need to get my training done in the best way that I can, that I know that I'm going to improve and I'm going to be the best that I can be when it comes to the point where I'm getting tested. And to keep the kind of morale up and, and everybody, you know, because we, we do need, if there's a four, a pair, an eight, no matter how many people are in that boat, you always need like four over, at least like say four over or two over, depending obviously what the boat is. So it's hard to train knowing perhaps that you might not be going, but then I think individually, everybody knows that that's what they're there for. And they want to make that, they want to get into the boat and they want to make that boat go and win a medal, a gold medal. So I feel like that's always the priority and to do that, you we need each other yeah. and we need we need everybody. Like nobody's gonna do that on their own. So I think it's a general like 
it's kind of like an unwritten rule that you know that you're going to have to go to a games or a competition with other people and you need them as much as they need you. So you can't really let anything get in the way of that. So it on, is tricky to do, yeah. but... So on a on a day-to-day -day basis, it sounds like each of you need to look after yourself. You need to mm -hmm. make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing to be your best. Yeah. And then there's a more kind of group aspect that you, I guess you need to trust that each person is doing what they need to do. And then I guess it's just a general acceptance that it is a team sport and there will be a, a first reserve or a second reserve. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's partly out of your control. All you can do is yeah. your best. Yeah, exactly. And the, the boat isn't going to win whether you're in it or not if there's an asshole who's refusing to play by the team yeah. rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's not talked about that much. It's just kind of that's grown and and accepted. Or is there sessions where you work on that sort of team building mentality and acceptance that you might be the the, the first reserve? I think you kind of practice it on a day to day basis. Like when we're training, yeah, we're doing our training in our boat and you know it can be quite individualized but at the same time we all train together in a big group like we all um we all lift weights together like socially distanced and clean <laughs> it's and all everything. right I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so we but we're all doing that together like the music's going like we need to we need to create the atmosphere like we need yeah. to bring that so i think um it is practiced every day and I think there is just a knowledge that if you don't train or you know you don't you're not going quick enough a boat in the boat then you won't make the boat you don't, and you don't I presumably with experience you you realize that actually you don't deserve to be there and you won't be there because if, if you hold that mirror up and reflect mm. on what you've done the previous six months or two years or whatever I guess it's how, how data driven it is, is it that you can see on black and white that you're not hitting the numbers that maybe your replacement is? It's like, yeah, it's, you can see the numbers. You know, you know what other people are doing, especially like in lockdown. And even now we get a spreadsheet at the end of like a, um, like a testing day. So we do like ergos a couple of times a week or once a week where the score's recorded and then a spreadsheet gets sent out. And so you can see where other people perhaps are, like what their um, stronger kind of session is to their weaker session. So you, you do know where people are at in terms of their fitness, but it's the, and how it's being in the boat and it's the personalities, you know, we all need to, everybody brings something different to the boat, which is really great. And that's, that's, you know that keeps morale and so you know, it's, the quieter it's more ones. than just numbers there's there's a 100 there's yeah. an ecosystem that needs to work with different characters and different i think so yeah although i have known people to like not get on outside but then you have to make it work in a boat because you're not deciding the selection like the athletes don't decide that it's the people higher up that decides who's going and you need to make that boat work um 
And I think, yeah, it's really tricky when it comes to like, so we do something called seat racing where, so on the, the sweep side of things, so the rowing side, we are in fours and we race against each other, say over 1500 meters. And then we come in and then you wait for the call. Like you wait to see who, if your name's getting called out or someone else's name, and then they switch. Okay, so they, and then they you go mix out. those boats up yeah. a bit and then go again. And then they go again and then they see So it's like what they're, the they're doing are. a jigsaw to see who works well with who and who complements. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's essentially it. But not so, telling you how that's happening. Exactly, <laughs> and you'll never know yeah. because... They're the puppet master. Yes, life. someone could... I mean, not that anybody does this, but I think sometimes the way they see it is if you know the result or if you know what switch is coming next, like you could not push for one race and then push for another Try race. And play like the it game. needs to yeah. be equal. Yeah. Um, and obviously if they don't tell you, then you, you can't, you've got no idea what's coming next. So you need to try your hardest 100% every single run. And that's, I guess that's management's job to, to mm. manage you guys yeah. to, to perform the best. And you know, their, their aim is to use you guys to, to get a gold medal. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to take some trial and error with different, yeah, different exactly. people in different seats and things like that. And I think it doesn't always sit that the person that's like the fastest on the rowing machine would be the fastest in a boat yeah. um, because there's loads of different elements for rowing in a boat compared to obviously on the rowing machine. So they can use the data for the rowing machine and in the weights room, but essentially you need to make a boat go fast and that should be the priority really. But they can kind of pick and choose. They'll manipulate And how do you cope with that element of unknown? So but before the Olympics, how long before that, or before a big race, a World Cup, or a, a, you know, how long before that is that uncertainty sort of stopped and you're told who's in the boat? And how do you deal with that aspect of it? Are you the night before you get the phone call? Are you kind of just kind of waiting and panicking, or are you quite relaxed? And what will you know you've done what you need to do and what will mm. be will be, or are you a bag of nerves? Well. So in 2016, when we raced for the eight, I just broke into the the women's team in May 2015. So I knew that obviously the Olympics was the following year and I had to, you know, really get my game on if I wanted to be in that boat. And at the time in 2016, there wasn't a women's four. It was only a women's eight and a women's pair. And the women's pair had been winning everything for the past four years so it was like was they it. were that they was, were done there was, was no done. question yeah. over yeah. there so there was no two, there was an eight there was an eight <laughs> and that was it the eight was the the kind of boat to go for and um so me just coming into the team i was obviously kind of the the weakest one there and i had to the weakest or the least experienced well least experienced perhaps weakest i don't know yeah um i'm sure i had my kind of strengths in yeah. some places. <laughs> Presumably you were there for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So I essentially had a, a goal and I was so driven to get into that eight. And I got seat raced. I was involved in, so we did 21 seat races that whole um, year. 
and it started in December and it kind of went on and on and on from there. And the boat got selected, so the women's eight, we got selected for the European Championships, which was like brilliant. You know, that was my first kind of big, big boat. Global, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it was like amazing. And I was part of this crew that was just like, just unbelievable. And um, we went and we got a gold medal. So we were all European champions and we were just like, this is just like to start off the racing season like this, knowing that the last race would be like the Olympic final. Like this is a really good start. We've, we've beaten every team that there is in Europe. Now we need to go on for the rest of the world. Yeah. But when we raced, um, there was another boat that didn't do quite as well as what they wanted and they were kind of like stronger athletes on paper and what they'd done in the past you know it was like amazing what they had done so I think they wanted to see if they could be in the eight and try and strengthen that and you know win a gold medal in it so we got told after you know we'd, we'd done the European Championships and we'd won that gold medal that we were then going to go back in seat race yeah. and see what happens from there. And I obviously immediately was like, well, I'm going to get seat race <laughs> because I'm like the last one in this boat. Like yeah. I need to, yeah, I need to just like get, keep my head and just like Focus keep going. Yeah. So we then went to the second World Cup as the eight and um, we raced that and we came second. Um, and we were like, I can't remember the time, but we were like point, I don't know, like seven one or something behind the Americans. And the Americans were like unbeaten through like the whole Olympiad, I think. I'm not entirely, don't quote me on that. But they were like a very, very good crew. And um, we were like really close to them, but we knew that we were obviously getting raced and it could all be up in the air. And um, the like two weeks later, we were then lining up at Cavisham, our um, training centre, in fours, side by side, and the two athletes were in. And then, of course, I got switched. <laughs> I knew it was coming. And um, yeah, I just raced my heart out, kept my head, and just literally right to the end. And um like nobody sometimes you can tell if it's side by side you can tell if you've won that one or you've not or what's the difference in race to race but literally nobody had any idea nobody had a clue like what it, who'd but we knew what boat had won but it was only by like a second or something yeah. and the it was just so close between yeah. the two that nobody had any clue and I think that's when I realised and I remember going on like a cool down walk with the girls and I just got really upset because I knew that if I hadn't made the boat, I knew that I was good enough to go to the Olympics because it was so close and it was just unbelievable racing. And we were on like world record pace as well for the fours racing. And I was just like, oh, I've done all I can, like I can't do anything else. And I remember calling my dad on the way back and saying, because he was like, how did it go? And I said, I actually don't know. I've got no idea, but 
all I did was I just did my best. Yeah. And if that's not good enough, then it's not good enough. So it, it taken something such fine margins that that gave you the clarity to be like, actually, I would be deeply upset if I don't make it. But actually, I you had the self-awareness to realise that there was nothing more you, you could could have done. Yeah, yeah. And then... And do you think you would have had that five years before that? Or was that something about age, experience? Or was it just that that event was so so sort of close that it that it was that that brought it home i think it was it was that event that was so close i think um five years ago i mean i wouldn't have even <laughs> made the team like yeah. nowhere near the team I was, but I, I guess not not necessarily physically made the team, but would, would you were you emotionally um de- or developed enough i guess when you mm. to, when when you, like, I, I guess when you were younger and you didn't make teams or you lost yeah, I see what you mean. I I think I'm like a very realistic person and I feel like I'm a very like aware person of if something I like won't just pass the blame to something, someone. Like if it was my fault, I would just put my hand up and say, oh, that was my fault. Like, I sh- I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that or whatever. Like, I am I feel like I am quite aware of everything that's going on and realistic as well. Yeah. Um, because I think sometimes I see so many unrealistic things in some people are like oh yeah I'll do that and I'm like what (laughs) how can you do that but I guess that's just their aim and that's what they want to do but um but yeah so after all that racing we decided that we wanted to find out what had happened that evening because we didn't want to be left on hold for the whole kind of 24 hours and then finding out the next day, going down to the training centre. If I didn't make the Olympic team, then I would have been turned away and it would have just been awful. So we were like, no, if you call us later, then that's fine. So I had my phone out and I just saw the name Paul Thompson come up on my phone and I just thought, this is it. This is the moment where I find out if I'm going to the Olympics or if I'm not. So I picked up the phone and he was just, he was like, hi, Karen, how did you find the racing today? <laughs> I don't want to talk about I, that. <laughs> I, I don't care. What do you want me to say? Like, what do you actually want me to say? Just I was give me like, in or out. Yeah, just give me a yes or no. That's all I want. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it was fine. Um, yeah, it was OK, I guess. I don't really yeah, know. What do you say in those situations? And, um, and then he said, he was just like, well, um, you know, you, you did it by 0.54 of a second. And I just thought, oh my God, like all of this has come down to 0.54. Like it's nothing, yeah. it's nothing at all. And um, of course I was like over the moon, but after I got off the phone to him and then I like called my mom and my dad and everybody was just like so happy. But um, yeah, that whole experience was just like something that I'll never ever forget like it was incredible but so intense at the same time and then I guess I kind of thought you know if I can do that I can do anything but then going to the Olympics like the seat racing was probably worse than the actual Olympics itself but then even at the Olympics you kind of yeah you just forget about that and it's on to the next thing really um yeah 
<laughs> I can see <laughs> looking into the middle distance, Carl. I've got to do it all again. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> but I've done it once, I can do it again. Yeah, it's fine. for sure, for sure. Um, so I guess final uh, final question before we get into the, the last three questions, which I ask all the, um, well, two, two last questions. So firstly, what impact does injuries or in, inability to move have on you? Have you had injuries? How have you dealt with them? I guess lockdown's been, you've been able to move, but it's been slightly changed. Mm. But so that kind of period where you've not been able to, to train and move, not necessarily right now, but in the last yeah. few years as well, how's that played out? Um, I've actually been really lucky in that I've, I've not really had like a kind of long going injury or anything. Like, I think the most I've ever been out of the boat is like, I think a week or something, which I know that's really kind of abnormal in a way. But I do remember when I was out of the boat for a week, it was my shoulder. I was doing a pull up in the gym and I just wasn't really set and I felt like kind of come out a bit and then go back in. So it was like a subluxation. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember being on the bike and thinking, how, like, it was awful. Like, people, like, because I've seen people have long term injuries and how brilliant they are you know of their motivation and everything and I remember like I was really trying not to complain because I just know that I, I I could see the end point like I knew that the end point was coming but I was like I don't know how these people do this yeah like it's amazing like how you can be motivated and so when you're not rowing generally if you're kind of lower half's fine you go on the bike if yeah if you've injured the kind of upper body but the bike, you have to do everything, like double the amount of, like on the water. <laughs> so it wasn't just the fact that you weren't right. So it was the fact just... that you having to do twice as much work. Yeah, so it's like if you... It's only a week though, Karen. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and that's why I was like, I need to be careful who yeah. I complain to here. <laughs> but um, I, I remember it was say like an hour on the water. I'd need to do an hour and a half on the bike. And it just absolutely just drags and, oh... It well, was it's awful. good motivation not to get so, injured. Yeah, exactly. But I really, and, I really uh, feel up. for people that are, and I just think they're amazing because I think if you can get through that, then you can get through anything. Yeah. And yeah, and in lockdown, like the training was different because we obviously weren't on the water, and we were training here. And luckily enough, I live with my boyfriend, and so I had a training partner, which I was, oh, I just felt so lucky that I had him. But we set up two ergos and yeah, we just kind of cracked on. Cracked on. And I have to say, I've learned so much about my body and what it needs, what fatigues it, how much recovery it needs to have. Sleep. Who knew sleep was so important? Oh. <laughs> Sleep. I didn't set an alarm at all because I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna give my body what it needs like every night. And so normally, like, you know, if you're in a training um, environment and training down at the National Centre, you have to be there for, say, half past seven. So you set your alarm. But we didn't have to be anywhere. We could start training when we wanted. And we pretty much started training at like 10 o'clock every day. So we'd have like a really relaxing morning. And um, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I didn't set an alarm and my body just kind of woke up when it did. And... I PB'd on like a lot of different kind of erg um, 
kind of training things that we do throughout yeah. the year. And my boyfriend, John, he is also a rower. So he, he got 2K PB in the back garden. I mean, if you'd said that to me, I don't know, even like a year ago, like this is what you'll be doing and you'll PB from that, that I would just be like, no way would we do that. So actually the, the change of lockdown, that complete shift of environment and supports mm. actually enabled you to to learn and about yeah. your body and the process and things like that uh, there's a, an amazing book called why we sleep by a guy called matthew walker yeah you buy it read it listen to it whatever you do it's it's all about sleep and it's i mean it's an amazing read yeah um i make sure all my clients read okay. it it's, uh, um. I'll, I'll give you the give you the link to it um Okay, so final question before we get to the to the last ones. How do you switch off from your training in terms of your, your movement? Do you have a movement practice, yoga, maybe just country walk, whatever, stuff that is just for you and not for your career and rowing and, and training? Mm. What, how do you do that? If you um, do? Switching off, I actually need to do probably more of because I do feel like I am like rowing, rowing, rowing a lot of the time in my head and everything. But when, so every Sunday, John and I will, you know, we have a croissant in the morning <laughs> <laughs> and we make a cafeteria. One each or just share one? Oh, we actually have two each, <laughs> if I'm being really honest. We have two. Um, and we have a cafeteria of coffee and we just sit and we chat. And that is just like, that is just so it's just I, that that little that little routine yeah. of you and you and him just downtime just together with everything else that's that's kind of enough yeah well that, well that's yeah like one thing and then we like to go for like walks every now and then like if we are up for it in terms of we're absolutely like knackered from training we won't but um yeah and then another thing is in lockdown actually I started so I was very aware that my so my mum likes to go to the gym normally before lockdown and obviously when we went into lockdown she couldn't go to the gym anymore so I was just very aware that you know she'd stop moving and I thought I can't have this like I I know how much exercise and just moving means to me and the endorphins that I get from it and how good that I feel that I've done something and I just thought there was a lot of things going on in lockdown like my dad wasn't we found out my dad's not very well so you know I just thought that she needed something else and so I, my sister was pregnant as well she's had her baby now but so we set up every single day we did a a little like um we just did a whatsapp video call and I would take the class because I'm actually <laughs> um, studying to be a PT as well. Okay. So I'm kind of doing that on the side. But I thought this that'd probably be really good for like my learning and like teaching um, and also good for them because, you know, it gets them moving in some way. So I'd be <laughs> just doing all these <laughs> different it's just moving. It's yeah, just yeah, it's, it's, it's just it anything, isn't to, it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, so I found that was like really helpful and I actually really enjoyed that, especially because I was like helping them. And my sister actually messaged me today and she was just like, I wondered if maybe we could do um, like a core like workout, like 
a couple of times a week if you've got time. Um, and, like, you know, we could do that all together. I know you're doing the Olympics and all that, but <laughs> I kind of need to train. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. So you've been roped back into the family yeah, and still motivated. I actually was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd really, yeah. really like to. So I think that's going to be something that I'll do Use to... just to help balance out. Yeah, and balance just it something out. Something that's non-pressured and just, just exactly. fun. Exactly. And, like, it's my way of, like, speaking to them as well. Like, yeah. I speak to them all the time anyway, but just something different. And yeah. it's quite funny as well. And it's really fun. That's good. That's yeah. great. Um, okay, so final three questions that I'm asking all guests. Firstly, um, two or three sources of inspiration that you would um, recommend people to look up. So either something that a documentary or book or podcast or films that you either kind of get you hyped might be might be some a playlist on Spotify that gets you hyped in the gym for training mm. or gets you kind of just focuses the mind or that you kind of use to help kind of reflect on things um okay so do you know the the Seb Coe's speech for the 2012 Olympic Games. When he was uh, launching it or a mm. kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he talks about, you know, the um, the generation inspiring and all that. That's one of the main things that kind of, yeah, yeah, gets, yeah. gets, like, gets the yeah. blood flowing and yeah. cold, uh, cold tingles. Goosebumps, yeah. Yeah, that's the word. And then I guess I'm actually really, I've just started, I know I'm really late to the party with this, but I've actually just started listening to um, podcasts and I've started with uh, Michelle Obama's podcast. So I'm yep. listening to her and I've started one and I think she's very good. Yeah. So I would say that's something that I'll definitely keep going. Yeah. And then in terms of like fitness, I wouldn't say inspiration, but I like to go on Instagram and see like females that have, I don't know, perhaps like had babies or are on a journey themselves, um, losing weight or um, just being healthier. I really like kind of following that journey and kind of watching that. So I think they're the kind of, that's what I would yeah. do. Normally. Great. Um, second question, how can people um, follow you or track your progress and, and get in touch? Um, so I... I'm generally quite active on Instagram, although sometimes I can't be bothered. It just <laughs> it just depends what You've mood got other I'm in. Really. Going on. Yeah, so yeah, on Instagram I am um, on there. So it's Karen Bennett eight nine. Okay. Yeah. And I'm I don't I'm on Twitter as well, but don't tweet as much. But okay. I need to, you know, keep keep that up to yeah. date, I think. Okay. So Instagram's the thing. Um and final question. What would you say to someone who's looking to increase their movement, who's just looking to maybe either not necessarily sort of start training for an, an event, mm. but just starting to kind of dust off the cobwebs and, and get moving a bit more than they have been? What would you what would you say to them? I would just say that do something that you like enjoy. Like if you like the outdoors, go outside. Um, maybe get somebody like your friend to join you, like have company doing it, do it together, encourage each other. Cause I think it's really nice when you have somebody to, you know, do things with, but just move, you know, just do anything. You're just getting out there and you'll feel really good about yourself. I think after you've moved.
I hope you enjoyed that episode of Why We Move. As always, thanks again to our guest. Hopefully you found their story inspiring and it's left you with a desire to get up and out and to move your body. Check out the show notes for links to our guests and their recommendations. If you liked what you heard, then please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or via whoever your chosen provider is. Please do leave a review and share with your friends and family. Peace and good vibes, and until next time, whatever you do, do more movement. <laughs>